This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Readings and Felicitations. In this podcast series, I'm going to be visiting with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, historians, and a wide variety of other people on topics that are outside the area of compliance, but are of great interest to myself and to listeners to the Compliance Podcast Network. Today we start a five-part podcast series on some of the science around Star Trek. In this exploration, I'm joined by my good friend Ben Lockwin. Ben is a healthcare futurist, and he's also an astrophysicist, so he's uniquely situated to talk about the science of Star Trek. We had a lot of fun producing this series, and I hope you will enjoy it, listening to it as much as Ben and I did bringing it to you. Today, we're going to uh, take up warp drive, and uh, for the episode to kind of introduce it, uh, we're going to use the naked time. Now, the naked time was literally the uh, second Star Trek episode aired. It was not the second film, but it was the second aired. And its story was that the Enterprise um, transported down to an ancient planet that was about to break up. There were uh, United Federation of Planet representatives on the planet in a science station. They were all dead, found dead under bizarre circumstances. The uh, turns out there was a pathogen that infected not only the people on the planet, but infected the crew members who had beamed down. And uh, they engaged in uh, some rather bizarre activity. And this is uh, the famous scene where swashbuckling Mr. Sulu um, fights with a, a rapier for Uhura, if you uh, remember that one at all. Uh, Nurse Chapel uh, becomes infected and professes her love for Mr. Spock. It's the first time we learn about that. She also infects Spock, uh, which causes him to uh, have some uh, difficulty in controlling his emotions. And the uh, leading to today's topic, though, was uh, Lieutenant O'Reilly, who um, shut down the warp engines. And um, as the planet's orbit uh, became more compressed and tighter, they had to uh, warp out of of that orbit so they wouldn't be sucked into uh, the black hole that was going to form. And so they had to mix matter and antimatter at a temperature colder than was recommended according to the intermix formula. Uh, Then they, with that mixing, kind of an emergency mixing, they were able to restart the warp engines uh, and warp out, of course, literally at the last minute. The uh, speed at which they warped out caused them to be thrown into a time warp which then caused the chronometer to run backwards. So this allowed the Enterprise to not only escape the breakup of the planet, but return uh, 72 hours in the past before any of this episode's events took place. So, Ben, there's a lot of, uh, I'm not sure, science, pseudoscience, make-believe science, or other is involved there, but uh, where do you want to start? Oh, let's get into it. Um... I think there's a lot of profound implications of the warp drive system as it's described in the show. Um, I think a lot of this falls into the realm of uh, 
suspension of disbelief. So we enjoy a lot of these shows and movies because we're allowed to just uh, let it wash over us. And if we don't think too critically about it, it can provide a high degree of entertainment. If I think more critically, though, um, which sometimes can make the show or the movie more enjoyable, I think about how warp drive may work in, in actual practice. And we bump up against a couple essentially insurmountable barriers. And one of those is that nothing with mass is allowed to travel faster than the speed of light. So if we look at Einstein's uh, relativistic equations, um, you know, his most famous equation being E equals mc squared, the c represented in the equation is the speed of light. And so that's uh, 186,000 miles per second, uh, about 300,000 kilometers per second, and um, there's nothing in the universe that can exceed that speed limit. So it seems to be an immutable law of the universe that the maximum speed that can be achieved by photons is light, and anything with mass cannot come even close to that. Um, what happens when you accelerate objects faster and faster is that their mass increases. And so you can imagine if you run this thought experiment ad infinitum, if you start getting even close to the speed of light, and by the way, we're not anywhere close to this with our best rockets, we can calculate that the mass starts to pile on uh, at a tremendous rate, uh, such that if you want to get faster and faster, you're using more and more of your fuel energy to push the increased mass and not to actually increase your, your velocity anymore. And so... Um, it seems that that speed limit is in place across the universe, and it will prevent us from ever achieving C, which is the speed of light. And uh, as I understand it, the warp drive in Star Trek um, allows the Enterprise to travel at the speed of light or even greater speeds than that. Is that, is that how it's set up? That's how it's set up. Yeah. I think the other thing that um, sort of piqued my interest in your intro was the matter and antimatter components. So, you know, matter and antimatter uh, should really have not much to do with how the warp drive functions and whatever the intermix protocol is. Uh, Paul Dirac, who was a famous mathematical physicist, won the Nobel Prize in 1933 uh, by coming up with the idea of antimatter. And... Um, you know, from his equations, uh, they started becoming incorporated into what's known as the standard model of particle physics. And the notion of uh, antimatter is also not science fiction. So that's known fact. And actually, at the CERN particle accelerator in Switzerland, there's a component within the particle acceleration array called the antiproton decelerator. And they've created antihydrogen, and they've held antihydrogen there uh, for, last I knew, about 16 minutes. So they can actually create antihydrogen from uh, antimatter. And what happens when uh, a matter particle interacts with an antimatter particle is that there's a tremendous flash of light and release of energy. And you've got photons that are released in precisely opposite directions. So they cancel each other out in a tremendous amount of energy. Now, of course, if you tried to use this to power the warp drive, uh, there would be no way to control 
um, how that explosion worked. And, um, you know, I think the risk would be that you would consume the enterprise. But even if you could get a tremendous amount of energy out of controlled matty-antimatter collisions, there would be no way to push the enterprise over the ultimate speed limit, which is the speed of light. Now, an interesting thing, there was uh, some sort of time dilation effect in that episode, um, if I recall. Was Was there time travel in that episode? Yes, when they uh, actually went into warp speed after the uh, controlled implosion, uh, they went backward in, in time nearly three days or 71 hours. Well, so it's interesting. There, there is a time-wise effect to high-speed travel. So if you get very close to the speed of light, if you get to 99.99999% the speed of light, there is an effect on uh, time. In fact, even when you're well before that, proximity to the speed of light, what you notice is there's a calculable amount by which your experience time slows. So the faster something travels, the more slowly its relative time progresses. And it's interesting because if you get to that threshold of, let's say, 99.99999% the speed of light, uh, your perceived time will pass at about 0.05% of an outside observer. So that's about 2,000 times slower. So if somebody else is perceiving 2,000 seconds to elapse, if you were traveling at that high rate of speed, you would, you would see that 2,000 seconds. Your relative perception is that one second would have passed. And, you know, certainly there are uh, thought experiments about how you could travel at a high rate of speed, which slows down your time relative to others. And then if you return from your journey, everybody who you left would be much older, depending on how far you traveled. And you essentially would have, quote unquote, traveled into their future. Although what's actually happened is it was just that your relative time slowed down because of your high rate of speed compared to everybody else. Uh, And that can be calculated. So, um, you know, we, we know exactly through particle experiments how long things uh, can persist. Um, for example, there are some types of particles that when accelerated, they, they last or live, they persist for 400 times longer than they typically do because they're moving at such a close uh, proximity to the speed of light, their velocity. So it slowed down their uh, passage of time. I'll also note, too, in this one, they uh, used a handheld phaser to cut open one of the doors on the Enterprise. So that harkens back to our Episode 2 conversation. So we're still not sure how they were able to direct so much of that thermal energy from the phaser to the door, um, but they did and managed to cut through it. Ben, you referenced um, Einstein and a couple of Einstein's laws. The, um, my understanding of the papers he wrote in 1905 included one on Brownian motion, one on photoelectrical effect. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural episode of Greetings and Felicitations. As I said in the intro, we're going to be exploring a wide variety of topics, some compliance-related, some not. So I hope you will join me in this most interesting adventure. Greetings and Felicitations is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have two other great new podcasts out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Check out From the Editor's Desk, where I visit with Compliance Week Editor-in-Chief Dave LaFort for a monthly wrap-up of Compliance Week stories and events, and the ESG Report, 
the first ESG podcast related to compliance. Foresee or even conceive of now? That's a good question. Um, I think the fair answer is that's always something that's a possibility. And the best way that we can approach the future is with arms open and embrace it. Uh, if, if we start to see evidence of an effect that we couldn't have conceived of in the past, then what we would do is direct our research efforts to, to strenuously try to understand that effect. Um, I think at the moment, though, there's... So when, when Einstein was working on uh, his special theory of relativity uh, and his general theory of relativity... A lot of that was work he had done because he was dissatisfied by uh, the philosophical perceptions he had about um, uh, travel through space, um, what the fabric of space-time would look like if you could combine three-dimensional space with a fourth dimension of time, um, and also what a traveler might perceive when traveling at a high rate of speed. So he used to do what was called uh, Gedanken experiments, which is... Uh, roughly translated German for thought experiments. And he would imagine what things would look like to him if he was traveling at uh, the speed of light. Would things slow down? Would other people slow down? Um, you know, if you traveled at the speed of light and you held a hand mirror out in front of you, would you be able to see your reflection? Uh, because after your reflection bounced off the mirror, it has to come back towards you. You know, would your would the light from your face ever even get to the mirror if the mirror is traveling away f with you at the speed of light? And so, you know, these sorts of complex thought experiments were really sort of the foundational moments that, you know, brought him to some of his breakthroughs. Um, I think to go back to your question, though, there are uh, currently some some very good models. So in particle physics and quantum mechanics, we have the standard model of physics, as it's called. Um, and frankly, it's anything but standard. It's a very complicated model and includes all the subatomic particles and their interactions and interactive effects. Uh, then there's also relativistic effects, which come to us via Einstein, and they govern things on the larger scale. So quantum mechanics and the standard model of particles for the very small. And for the very large, we have relativity, we have curved space-time, and... You know, at, at the moment, the marriage of these two things is something that's discontinuous. There's a lot we can know and prove on the small scale. Also, there's a lot we know and can demonstrate on the larger scale. But getting these two uh, realms, um, the microcosm and the macrocosm, to essentially mesh is one of the difficulties. But at the moment, there seems no reason to believe that um, the speed of light isn't the ultimate speed limit. Um, and so I think, you know, we don't have the situation that Einstein had where there is dissatisfaction in some of our knowledge, which is leading us to think that maybe there are particles traveling faster than light and we just haven't quite captured them yet. You know, I think in, uh, in, in the world of um, high energy particles uh, and some of the latest discoveries, gravitational waves are some of the newest things. So LIGO, which is the gravitational wave detector, has picked up signals of gravity waves, essentially. And until we had this sort of evidence, uh, gravity waves were just hypothesized. And so that gives us a strong evidence base that gravity waves do, in fact, exist. But um, at the moment, there's no indication that the speed of light isn't going to be the speed limit for the foreseeable future. Well, that would seem to be a great way to end with the following, Ben. Uh, the greatest bathroom graffiti I ever saw was in the University of Michigan School of Law men's bathroom, which read, 
186,000 miles per second. It's not just a good idea. It's the law. Absolutely true. So with that, uh, Ben, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural episode of Greetings and Felicitations. As I said in the intro, we're going to be exploring a wide variety of topics, some compliance related, some not. So I hope you will join me in this most interesting adventure. Greetings and Felicitations is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have two other great new podcasts out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Check out From the Editor's Desk, where I visit with Compliance Week Editor-in-Chief Dave LaFort for a monthly wrap-up of Compliance Week stories and events, and the ESG Report, the first ESG podcast related to compliance.